for tuning in to the 156th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Had a interesting day. Back in Buffalo, uh, I was in Ohio. I had to clean out my uh, room as the year ends at school. Corona kind of ended it early. But now we're back, and now we're going to have a podcast. going to get some great content out to you all. Going to have my man Kenny Sim on in about 10 to 12 minutes, and we are going to review the AFC West and the AFC South. Uh, last podcast, we did the AFC East and the AFC North in terms of what draft grades we gave them. If you haven't heard that, check that out. That would be the last podcast, episode uh, 155. But right now, we're going to get to the AFC South and the AFC West. Particularly Kansas City, right? The defending champions in the West, so that will be interesting. Like I said, Kenny Sim, 10 to 12 minutes. Now, but first, here's what I wanted to talk about. Right? Uh... ESPN came out with, uh, I believe it's the 74th anniversary of uh, the NBA, so they came out with their top 74 players of all time. And the list was standard, right? You had Michael 1, you had LeBron 2, you had Kareem 3, they had Bill Russell 4, they had Magic 5, I believe they had Wilt 6, number 7th was Duncan, 8 was Bird, 9 was Kobe, and 10 was Shaq. That was their top 10. And there was a lot of debate in there. And mostly everybody, it, it always deteriorates to the argument, right? It always gets down. And we reduce the argument to who was better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Or then some people will say, well, Kareem was actually better than both of them. And then some people will be like, will be like what about Bill Russell, right? That, that's usually where the argument goes. But I think the most interesting thing on the list, and the thing that should have more debate should be more termulous, that should start more arguments and more discussion, is this, right? The number 13 and number 14 slot. Now, the number 13th ranked player was Stephen Curry, and the number 14th ranked player was Kevin Durant. And, actually, I asked my dad about it uh, yesterday. I asked him what he thought about it, and uh, he, just, he said it was stupid. And I'm using the PG version of that, but he said it was stupid. And then it got me thinking, people, and there's a second probably the population, NBA analytics population that believes that Steph Curry is better than Kevin Durant because the shooting, Steph Curry has changed the game in ways that Kevin Durant obviously is not from, you know, marketing. Kids can practice outside and think they can be Steph Curry, right? No, Nobody in their, in, their, uh, in their dreams imagines they can be Kevin Durant, a seven-foot monster that can shoot jumpers. But when you're talking about the greatest players of all time, that that's not how you need to decide things. And I, I think where we also need to talk about is Steph Curry is a lot more overrated in the grand perspective of best players ever. But we're going to stay with Kevin Durant and, and Steph Curry for a minute. There are things that you... you because at the time, you can say, Steph Curry, three-time NBA champion, went to five straight finals, part of the greatest dynasty in NBA history, the greatest shooter of all time. 
a, a unanimous MVP, right? And he probably you can make argument has more credentials than Kevin Durant, right? But when you really look at it and you say Steph Curry is better at basketball than Kevin Durant, that is a fa- that is not a fact. That's a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. And there's things that maybe that you can say maybe they make sense. But then when you say them again and you really think about it, you're like, this is kind of stupid. I was listening to Steven Jackson talk. And if you don't know, Steven Jackson has his own podcast. And one of the things Steven Jackson was talking, he's talking about marijuana and Steven because somebody asked him on Instagram about marijuana. And they were like, how would you feel if the person that's selling you marijuana doesn't uh, doesn't smoke? And then I thought about it. And Steven Jackson called him out about how much of a stupid question it is. And then I thought to myself, well, chances are if somebody's giving you a product or anything, right? If somebody is selling you something that they don't use, that they don't personally believe in, chances are something's not right. So Stephen Jax was probably right to call to say that the dude was asking a stupid question. And there's a litany of other things that you can, when you say them, they, they just don't make sense, right? You're on Tinder and, and then you keep swiping and then there's somebody that says, I'm a Nigerian princess. Give me your social security number. You want to meet on a date? No, no, that's not good. Maybe at the time you're like, oh my God, I'm in love. But then when you look at it, you're like, no, this is kind of fishy. This doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Sometimes you just need to, right? <laughs> you need to think about it. I'll also never forget this other story. I, one person, I was probably a junior in high school. And I was driving with them. And we got to this high school really quickly. You know what he said? He said, yeah, I get to places fast because I don't stop on red. You're like, oh, that's cool. And you're like, oh, crap, that's really dangerous and stupid. It's kind of like that when you say Steph Curry is better at basketball than Kevin Durant. Because I will literally ask you, anybody that thinks Steph Curry is better than Kevin Durant, please tell me this. What does Steph Curry do better than Kevin Durant? I will wait. Crickets. Is Steph Curry a better defender than Kevin Durant? No. Steph Curry's actually a liability on defense. And they have to hide him on defense. And they have to have Klay Thompson guard Steph's man. Teams purposely target Steph Curry because he is a weakness defensively. You, people don't target Kevin Durant. He's seven foot and can move great laterally. Is Steph a better scorer? No. Kevin Durant can shoot the three, he can shoot the mid-range, he can post up from every area of the court. Much more versatile offensively than Steph. The only thing I was thinking about, the things that that Steph does better, he's a better shooter. And you can make him a better passer. But really, if we're, we're talking about this, Steph is a better shooter than Kevin Durant. And you want to know what? Steph's not a better shooter by that much. And when you really think about it, Kevin Durant's a little bit more impressive because he's seven feet and well, Steph Curry's 6'2". And what's even more crazy about this is, but this isn't like the LeBron-MJ conversation where we're like, this happened in this era. This this MJ was in the 90s. LeBron was in the 2010s. Who was really better? No, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant actually played against each other in the same time. For God's sake, they were on the same team. This is like, and and Kevin Durant was clearly better than Steph Curry. Clearly better. 
He was the two-time finals MVP. He was the player that torched LeBron in the finals. It was not Steph. And Steph's great, but Steph's not Kevin Durant. And they were all the same team. It's like saying, who was better in the early 2000s? Was it Kobe or was it Shaq? No, it was Shaq. Oh, great. Who was better in the 90s when they were on the same team and winning? Was it MJ or was it Scotty? No, it was MJ. Who was better in the 2010s when it was Dwayne Wade and LeBron James? No, it was LeBron James. It's not that hard to figure out. This isn't to me, and to me, this is not controversial to say Kevin Durant, I'd like to say Kevin Durant's better than Steph. To me, it's not even close. There's tears. And Kevin Durant is in a different echelon than Steph Curry. And I felt I just had to say that. Now, where I do also want to move to is this. So I think a lot of the times you can tell about how people feel about you by uh, a lot of things. You know, how they act when you're not around, right? People say good stuff about you when you're not around. Chances are they like you, right? People give you recommendations. People always vouch for you. Chances are they like you. People always talk bad about you. They're always like, hey, don't give, don't give Jerry a call. He's unreliable. Yeah, that, that's never a good sign. If there's an important meeting, like, to decide whether the NBA starts, and, you know, you have guys like LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and Russell Westbrook, and then everybody leaves out James Harden, who's better than half the players I just named, it says something, right? <laughs> it says something. Just said earlier, you can tell when players are on the same team who's better. James Harden is clearly better than Russell Westbrook. Yet Russell Westbrook gets invited to this meeting of NBA stars, but James Harden doesn't. James Harden's better than Damian Lillard, but Damian Lillard gets the invite, but James Harden doesn't get the invite. And maybe you, people could make the argument about this. Chris Paul's the player head of the Players Association, and he kind of organized this, and there were reports that Chris Paul and James Harden didn't get along. So maybe Chris Paul decided not to invite James Harden. To me, I think that's crazy, and, and I don't understand why guys like, if, if you want to have all the stars, while, while guys like LeBron, Anthony Davis, Giannis, they're like, uh, where is James Harden? So the fact that this could all be in the works, and everybody's like, hey, Where's the guy that's led the league in scoring the last couple years is one of the most prolific scorers ever, is the best shooting guard in the NBA, the top five player in the NBA. Where is he? And the crazy part about it is Steph Curry will not be in the postseason, right? Because that's really the biggest reason why the NBA wants to start back up again. Steph Curry's not going to play in the postseason. The Warriors aren't going to be in the playoffs. Kevin Durant is probably not coming back. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry get invited. And Damian Lillard. The Blazers probably aren't going to be the Blazers aren't going to be in the playoffs. So you invite three guys that are not going to factor in the postseason. But you don't bring James Harden, whose team is going to be in the postseason. It makes no sense. And I kind of think about it, and it kind of goes into, you know, why Isaiah Thomas was left off the Dream Team. And th there was lots of talk about he was left off because he had in issues with a bunch of individual players on the team, from Michael Jordan to Magic Johnson to Karl Malone to Scottie Pippen. Even his head coach. Didn't vouch for him. Chuck Daly. 
That says something a little bit. Doesn't mean he's not a great player, but that says something. Kevin Durant played with James Harden. He was at the meeting. Russell Westbrook played with James Harden. He was at the meeting. Chris Paul played with James Harden. He was at the meeting. And nobody's like, hey, let's include James in on this. You can tell a lot about how people feel about you when they talk about you, when they recommend you for stuff, when they invite you to stuff. Everybody's always like, hey, man, why don't I ever get invited to the parties? Because they don't want you at the party. And then you have to look and think, why don't they want you at the party? And I don't specifically know what that reason is with James Harden. But it's just something to think about. Now, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Kenny Sim on the show. And we're going to give NFL draft grades for the teams in the AFC West and AFC South. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. AFC South with a team that was in the AFC Championship game last year. The Tennessee Titans. They get Isaiah Wilson, tackle out of Georgia. They also get Christian Fulton, corner out of LSU. What did you think of the Titans draft? Yeah, so the Titans, they really have a particular way that they need to play to be successful. And and this draft was all about trying to maintain that. So they lose Jack Conklin to the Cleveland Browns. They need to have that power running game with Derrick Henry to be successful. So so they spend their first pick and try to get a rubber stamp in for Jack Conklin and Isaiah Wilson. I think, um, and, and, and then there was some talk, and, and I know we, we talked about Isaiah Wilson getting some buzz into day one. So there was some buzz about him being a first-round pick. They go with him. And, and then they go with Christian Fulton. So they lose Logan Ryan. Um, and, and they need kind of a solid solid passing secondary, solid back end of the defense, too. And so they keep that with Christian Fulton. And I think if he just takes their pull of draft pick and he changed the order, it's a good draft. So so I think, you know, Christian Fulton, I could have seen him going round one. I think a lot of, a lot of you know, people that pay attention to the draft had him maybe at the third or fourth corner round one, maybe. So if you were to say maybe Christian Fulton goes round one and Isaiah Wilson goes round two, you know, maybe you're liking that draft a little bit better. So so ultimately, uh, they tried to kind of keep the status quo for their team. Um, and then they got Darrington Evans, a complete opposite of Derrick Henry, kind of taking the role of Deion Lewis. So what they did, um, I think if I had to put kind of, kind of a theme on this draft for them, it was all about trying to, you know, keep this particular way they play football to win in the AFC. And I think they crushed it on day two of the draft to kind of, you know, keep that status quo. Do you think they can continue to play the style, the punishing physical style that they do play and that got them to the AFC championship game? Yeah, I mean, I think they can. I mean, it's kind of hard to find, um, you you know, it's kind of hard to find an example of a team that really focuses on 
running the football and defense being sustainable. Uh, I know you know you know you had like Rex Ryan's Jets for two years that did and they fell off. So. And that and that's actually who the Titans remind me of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and 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 I've always been a really big fan of Mike Vrabel too. Not kind of sure what was going on in draft day at his house, but I I, I did like you know. I've, I've always been a big fan of Mike Brable. Um so I think they could continue it. Um, what, what, what's going to come down with the Titans is can, can they continue to field an overall strong roster paying Ryan Tannehill $117 million over four years? So what's that? That's about you know $30 million roughly for a quarterback. Uh, that quarterback room had about $15 million in it last year. So they're going to need him to keep up an above-average play because now you just have less money in the salary cap to build a team around him. And this is something interesting, too, not to get too far off topic, but I think it's interesting, and, I, and we've talked about this, too. I don't know how if, if Ryan Tannehill can play the way he did last year again. I think sometimes you've peaked, and sometimes you, you just do your best ever for those eight or ten games, and then you're never, you're never able to replicate it, right? Like we've, Joe Flacco had that one postseason, and it was never duplicated again. Are you surprised that the Titans didn't get a quarterback? Because we see a team in the Packers who are also in a championship game, the NFC championship game. They were a better team than the Titans. And they take their first round asset and use it on a quarterback when they have a Hall of Famer at the position while the Titans don't. Can you just kind of talk about the, the difference in those two situations? Yeah, so, I mean, it's... it's you know, that's why day two is so important for the Titans getting like a Darrington Evans and a Chris Fulton because, um, so they spend about $30 million on Tannehill, um, but also remember is they're using the franchise tag, you know, about $14, $15 million on a running back in Derrick Henry. And, you know, it, it's just never been proven over time paying a running back that much money, you know, pays off. Um, there's countless examples just being just as past you with Todd Gurley, Rams getting out after two years of their contract. Um, so, you know, they spend a lot in that area. So they're going to continue to kind of like play within their system. So that's why you kind of see them go with, you know, right tackle and corner and stuff like that. So uh, I think they're all in on Ryan Tan- Tannehill as well. I mean, he's young enough where they don't need a draft and tear a parent. And I really think they like what they did there. I mean, I think he led the NFL in quarterback rating at 117 when he took over, even better than Patrick Mahomes. Um, actually, I know that for, for a fact. He, he was the number one QB rating. Um, obviously, only about 12 regular season games, small sample size, but nonetheless, I think they're all in on Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, based on their actions, um, it shows that they see him as a franchise quarterback long term giving him that contract and not taking another court court, uh, not taking another QB in the draft. So that was, you know, um, a little bit surprising, I think compared to like, uh, like a green Bay Packers and not giving Aaron Rodgers weapons where they're continuing to build the team around Tannehill in Tennessee. Now, what would be your grade for the Titans? Give me your draft grade. Yeah, I think it was about a B minus. Um, so, so you know, they fit those needs. They crushed day two of the draft, um, and you know, I wasn't as big as a fan 
on Isaiah Wilson as the Titans were, you know, being like the sixth or seventh tackle, they go with him in round one. Um, I think that's going to be a really big key to see how he develops because they're going to need him to play well. Um, and then they really did, you know, nothing on day three. They got a backup quarterback and a DB. So um, really counting on that day two. I think it's about a B minus, C plus. Okay. Now we're going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They draft C.J. Henderson with their old, with their uh, first-round draft pick. Well, what did you make of the Jaguars draft? Yeah, so the Jacksonville Jaguars, they had one, two, three. I think they, uh, I think they were second to the Vikings in draft picks. They, they had 14. Um, and, you know, they got some guys at the right places that I like. So, you know, they go with, uh, they're trying to fix that defense. Uh, they're going to need that defense to play well to do anything. They go with C.J. Henderson, solid man corner with their first pick, and they then they go Caleb on Chazen at the end. So that really sets up nice with, you know, um, Josh Allen and Chazen, both two, you know, first and second year guys off the end, and you added Nagakwe too. Not sure if Nagakwe, if, if and Gakway is going to stay there, but that's a nice three-man pass rush on their roster right now. And then they get LaVisca Chenault, and I think, you know, really, you know, I think that's a good fit for him, getting a high amount of volume with DJ Chark. So those are two athletic wide receivers on the end they got, and then they kind of fit their roster down as is. So they get another big receiver, Colin Johnson, big safety, and Daniel Thomas. Uh, they get Devon Hamilton out of Ohio State, continuing to build that front. Potential starter down the road and Ben Barch, the Division Two tackle. So um, I like what they have on offense with DJ Chark and Chenault. Um, if it doesn't work this year, you know, those would be two good targets for Justin Fields and the Trevor Lawrence. And then, um, you know, overall, I had a pretty positive view on what they did on their, with their two first-round picks going defense-defense. So what would your grade be for the draft, for the Jaguars? Yeah, so for them, I mean, so for them, I'm going to give them a, a B, a B. Um, so I'd have like the, if, if I, I, I have in my head, you know, like the top eight drafts, like the top quarter, I wouldn't put them in there, but I put them, you know, about 10, just because of the volume of picks too, with what they're trying to do. So, Solid B, above average draft. I think they got some players that could contribute to them for years to come. <clears throat> now let's go to the Indianapolis Colts. They had a solid draft. Most notable, the uh, the name that most people might recognize off the top is Jonathan Taylor, who was who was drafted in the second round, and really. Duke Irvin was the the best college uh, running back the last couple of years. What did you make of the Indianapolis Colts draft? Yeah, so the Indianapolis Colts, um, so uh, you're going to ask me the grade. I'm going to give them an A. I really like the Colts draft. It's one of the best drafts in the NFL and one of the best drafts in the AFC. Uh, you know, we'll get to it, but I think, you know, the Broncos, Colts, and Ravens are the three I liked a lot in the AFC. So here's what the, so, so, so here's what the Colts did. Colts get Michael Pittman, who the NFL is a lot higher on Michael Pittman than – uh, the outside draft folks, um, you know, 6'4", 223, really productive receiver, uh, route runner, polished, 
USC good track record of developing wide receivers that could contribute in the NFL. They go with him. He's a big receiver outside of T.Y. Hilton. Then they go with Jonathan Taylor. So Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, that's got to be one of the best backfields in the NFL now. And, and they already had, you know, that shows you kind of the luxury you could do of picking skill guys when you build your offensive line first. Chris Ballard, they built their offensive line over the last two years. Uh, they come back with Julian Blackman. I think he could be a potential starter at safety in the back end. Um, and then, you know, just getting solid players. So uh, a couple of guys I liked at the back end were Desmond Patman, height, weight, speed guy, receiver out of Washington State. Take a flyer on him. Uh, kind of like a, just a, a really strong defensive tackle that plays hard. Robert Windsor never hurts to strengthen your defensive line. And then potentially, you know, after one year, they have a quarterback that they, you know, could see if he could be, you know, a young guy that you want to move forward with. And Jacob Eason, former five-star recruit, all the arm talent in the world. Um, so kind of, kind of see what they have there and kind of what they want to do there with him or Jacoby Brissett after one or two years of Phil Rivers. But that's a really good skill room if you just take a look at Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, Pittman and T.Y. Hilton. I really like what the Colts did. And I think, you know, this draft kind of moves the Colts forward. Um, I would go as far as saying I kind of call them the, the, the division favorites in the AFC after this draft. Really? Interesting. Now, you, you said you gave them an A too, right? Yeah. I like it. I like it. Now, let's get to the last team in the AFC South, the Houston Texans. Uh, I'm really curious to see what you make of their draft. They draft defensive tackle of Ross Black Blacklock, if I'm pronouncing yep. his name wrong. Sorry if I'm out yep. of TCU. What did you make of the Texans draft? Yeah, so the Texans kind of started, a, so, so they started, you know, with a limited feeling, trading away their first-round pick this year and next year for Laramie Tunstall. Um, I think they ended up trading their second round pick originally that they had this year and next year. So they don't have a lot of draft capital to begin with. So they only get five guys in their class. And remember we talked about, you know, you really want, if if you have three or four guys constantly contributing at a high level, that's a good draft. They're going to need to hit three of these five to be solid starters for this to be a good draft. Uh, So they, they start off at pick 40 with Ross Blacklock. That's the pick that they used trading away DeAndre Hopkins. So they traded DeAndre Hopkins to, um, to land, you know, fill in Brandon Cooks with him along with Ross Blacklock. And then they take the bad contract with David Johnson. So, you know, not the best return right there. Um, they're going with their front. So, so, so they have a front, a questionable front that they needed to work with. So that's what they did on day two with Jonathan Grenard and Ross Blacklock. Um, I don't think a lot of those guys are going to give you pass rush. I do like Grenard, though. Um, just like steady, just, just steady players you could put, in, you know, behind Merciless and um, J.J. Watt. And then they come back on day three. I, I mean, not a big fan of Charlie Heck, more like a, a heavy-legged weight bender, kind of projects as a ceiling to like a swing tackle, your third tackle you have on your roster. Uh, John Reed you know, kind of like a special teams player. Isaiah Coulter, 
he's got some pop. Um, I like Isaiah Hodgins better uh, for the Isaiah. It's kind of those day three Isaiah wide receivers. So overall, I mean, I think they had, you know, they they were behind the eight ball to begin with. Um, I kind of see a cap on that. Like best case scenario is they get two two day two guys kind of continue to have an above average defensive line. But other than that, um, they really didn't do anything outside of the defensive line in this draft that's going to contribute to them next year. And only five guys, too. That's not the best either. When you have the Colts, you know, taking 10 guys. you got the Jacksonville Jaguars taking 14 guys. Only five guys for the uh, Texans. You run the math of probability success. You know, hard to see the Texans having more than, like, two players that really contribute in this draft class. How much does Deshaun Watson uh, kind of mask all of this? Well, he's going to need a mask a lot, Carol. I think, I'm, 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 I mean, he did a lot. I mean, I think he did a lot last year with, um, so, so this has been just a constant parade of throwing talent out of the window with Bill O'Brien on this Texans team. And Deshaun Watson really masked that a lot last year. Um, he's going to need a really, uh, I mean, he's going to need to play close to an MVP level, you know, close to a top five QB to mask this again. So, you know, they got Will Fuller. They 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 got a decent wide receiver in Brandon Cooks. That's a downgrade from Hopkins. And Brandon Cooks had two concussions last year. So they're going to need to kind of keep, you know, a high level of Deshaun Watson with Kiki Kuti, uh, their other receiver. Uh, they spent a lot of money on Duke Johnson and uh, David Johnson at running back. So they're really banking on, a, um, I mean, they're going to need a Superman level from Deshaun Watson to kind of, you know, get back to the playoffs and be a winning team. I think because of that draft and kind of just the amount of talent that is left, not having first and second round picks, only five picks in this draft, that moves the Texans down in the division, I think. I think that moves them down a couple of wins. And that's, you know, you kind of see kind of, you know, in the hierarchy at least, I kind of put the Colts and the Titans ahead of the Texans right now. Deshaun Watson playing at an MVP level, kind of brings them back up to like a tie with the Titans, both looking at maybe Titans and the Texans, 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and fringe playoff teams around there. Um, but Deshaun Watson's going to need to play at an MVP level. If he doesn't, if he gets hurt, you know, this team falls, you know, to like four or five wins, you know. So Deshaun Watson, you know, adds four wins right there. So, you know. He played an MVP level last year. He's going to need to do that again. Now let's go to the AFC West, where the defending Super Bowl champions reside, led by the best player, I think you would agree with me, in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes. They go offense in the first round, drafting Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, uh, kind of a do-it-all running back out of LSU. What did you make of the... Uh, of the Chiefs draft as a team that, you know, they had the confetti. They raised the trophy. How do you think they've improved their team? I really think they did a good job uh, kind of being in the back end of each round. They So, so what they're going to do, and I, and, and I like this strategy a lot, is, you know, we always talk about in the NFL draft is, you know, we got to spend first-round picks on need. Like, what do we need to fix? You know, fixing the weakness. What the Chiefs do and what some teams are like is they strengthen a strength. So so 
they're strengthening their offense. They're strengthening their skill guys with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I kind of have a comp on him to like Brian Westbrook. I think, um, you know, putting him in the backfield, and, you know, you can put anyone in the backfield and they'll do well with that offense and Patrick Mahomes. And now you get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's like a, a, a Brian Westbrook caught 55 passes for Joe Burrow last year. I think he's really going to do well. Um, that, that's definitely a guy you want to target in fantasy for all the fantasy listeners out there. And, and having him in that offense is just, you know, it, it, it's just not fair. Um, I, 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 I like what they did there. Um, kind, of, kind of interesting going against positional value with the analytics folks is they go running back linebacker with their first two picks. So they go Willie Gay. Willie Gay, really athletic linebacker, had some off-field issues. I think that was more due to his grade, not really football um, issues which got cleaned up, but Willie Gay is right behind Isaiah Simmons as the most athletic linebacker in this class. You could take a look at his testing at the combine. He did really well. And then they got a potential starter in Lucas Niang. Had some injuries at TCU, but definitely, if healthy, he projects to a starter. He could fill in um, at left tackle or right tackle for them. And I like I like Legereus Sneed, too. This is one of the guys, I think, the uh, – Louisiana Tech had three starter or three NFL draft picks in their secondary last last year. Sneed is a you know he's a four three seven guy. He plays safety. I think they might try to fit him in at nickel. I like that pick on day three as well. So overall, I I, I like what the Chiefs did, um, strengthening a strength. Then they got some help at linebacker, um, and then they got some potential starters down the road with Niang and Sneed. What would be your grade for the Chiefs? Yeah, I give the Chiefs. I mean, I give the Chiefs a B. So overall, I think it was just a. I think it was an above-average draft. I think you could kind of see how you could get three starters in that class, um, and then it's headlined by Ceh Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Really like that pick. I think he was the he he was the perfect running back in this class that had the skill set. I think the Chiefs looked for. So that's one reason why he was the first running back off the board. I really like that pick for them. Give him a B plus B. Now I want to go to the Las Vegas Raiders, right? Moving to Vegas, John Gruden, Mike Mayock, first pick, Henry Ruggs, wide receiver out of Alabama, a blazer. What did you make of the Raiders draft? Yeah, so the Raiders draft, I mean, I think if there was a theme, so they had one, two, three, four, five, six. They had seven picks. Um, three of those picks were wide receivers. So um, what the Raiders did, and we'll talk about the Broncos coming up soon, is I think they said, okay, we're going to stop Patrick Mahomes and hold him to under 30 points. So the only reason, or, or the only way that we're going to have sustained success and make the playoffs every year, which you have to win the division and beat them, is I think they say, we want to get into a track meet. That's how we're going to beat Patrick Mahomes. That's the only way to do it, is to match offense with offense. So they go three wide receivers. So they get, you know, Henry Ruggs. I know Gruden probably saw Ty, Tyree Hill and said, Mike, may I get me one of those guys? So they go with Henry Ruggs. They get Lynn Bowden. I think Lynn Bowden is going to be more of a running back for them. Kind of did it all at Kentucky. Started off at wide receiver fit in and play quarterback for them. You just take a look at their bowl game. I think he had like 500 yards of offense playing quarterback. I think he's more of like a slash player. I think he's going to play some running back for them. And then they get 
you know, potential gem if they could hit on Brian Edwards, big wide receiver, six four, two and a quarter uh, injury though. So I think if you could kind of fit that up with, you know, Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro, they definitely wanted to improve at wide receiver. Didn't like the Damon Arnett pick. I know Damon Arnett a little rich at nineteen, um, and then and then you know just classic classic Mayock going with some Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State players. He goes with Tanner Muse, kind of a reach at safety at the end of round three, but nonetheless they get him. Then they get a Clemson guard, John Simpson. Not the best though, but you know they want to build their team with toughness and character. Uh, so they go with the Clemson guys again, stacking that roster with Clemson guys. And then they get the second um, starter from that Louisiana Tech that secondary and Amick Robertson, um, potential nickel for them. So overall, I give them a C. I think it was an average draft. I mean, I'm not a – I wasn't a big fan of using all those picks um, on wide receivers. You're not going to see that return if you can't get the court, if, if the quarterback can't get them the ball. So, big year for Derek Carr and potentially Marcus Mariota to justify that. But um, I I, I do like Henry Ruggs as one of those three receivers. Um, Not the biggest fan at 19 of our net. So, I give them a C. I think it was an average draft. Um, But, you know, they're kind of – they got their players that they like. And at least in – in the Raiders' eyes, they executed that with getting kind of the guys that Mayak and Gruden look for, those smart, tough guys that come from winning teams. Do you think it's overrated just drafting guys from the big schools, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State? I think it's... So I, so, so, so I really think what, what, what you should do is not scout the helmet. We've used that term before. Not scout the helmet. Kind of look at each player individually take this individual's talents to stack them on the board because um, you know you kind of see it more in offense but like okay so like Damon Arnett like Damon Arnett is not going to have Jeffrey Okuda in the back end he's not going to have you know NFL safety that Ohio State puts out with them he, he, he's going to be on his own in that Raiders secondary that struggles uh, quite frankly to uh, you know having to match up with the Chiefs Henry Ruggs um We'll see how Henry Ruggs does as that number one receiver. He wasn't the number one wide wide receiver at Alabama, so we'll see how he does there. Um, but, you know, that could get you in trouble if you purely just go off helmet scouting. Um, all those LSU guys, you know, you get better as you play with good players around you. But, um, you know, LSU's entire defense is in the NFL. Um, you know, you're not going to be playing with that high of talent um, around you for some of these lower players too and then don't get the return that you hope for and also do you think this is a make or break year for uh Derek Carr because you know you do mention they get three wide uh, three wide receivers and a lot was talked about if they would draft a Jordan Love if they would you know try to trade up and get a quarterback and you know they go and get him some guys that he can throw the ball to so you think this is a make or break year for Derek Carr oh absolutely um I was surprised they kind of didn't maybe kick the tires on or Jordan Love or someone. Um, so, 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 so Derek Carr is in the unique situation that he doesn't have the head coach and the GM that drafted him on the team still. So, you know, Mike Mayock and John Gruden aren't tied to him. I'm not the biggest Derek Carr fan. I love Gruden, though. I think ultimately Gruden's going to want his quarterback. 
And I think he's kind of hoping that maybe there's like a Ryan Tannehill situation with Mariota. And, you know, if, if Carr struggles, you can plug in Mariota, former Heisman Trophy, and try to get him, you know, get all that talent you possibly could with Gruden calling the plays and Mariota there. So um, definitely a make or break year for Derek Carr. I Them drafting Jerry Judy, wide receiver out of Alabama. What, what did you think? Yeah, I, I, I really like what the Denver Broncos did. I mean, they're right up there with the Raiders in Cortland Sutton to begin with. Then they come back with K.J. Hamler, 5'8", 170, really fast guy. Uh, he'll play the slot for them. That's a nice one, two, three for for uh, Drew, Drew, Drew Locke. Then they come back in round four and they get Albert O. Albert O, the tight end, fastest tight end, runs under sub uh, sub four five, runs four four eight. That's another speed guy to go with Noah Fant, the first round pick last year. So they really, you know, this might be the last time John Elway picks a quarterback. He's going down with putting the best possible talent around Drew Locke and. If this doesn't work, it's definitely on Drew Locke. Um, I really like what they did there. And then, and, and, and then they get a value pick around, too, with Lloyd Cushenberry. Lloyd Cushenberry, definitely a starter. Um, so he could come in and start at center for them, too. And then they get a solid special teams guy, Justin Strand, who I like at a Wake Forest. Um, and then they kind of fill in from there. They had, a, what, I'm eight, ten picks. So they have a quantity, too, to go with quality. But overall, I really like what the Broncos did on each day of the draft. And what would your grade be for Denver? Yeah, I'd give them an A-. minus. I I just go back. I really like what they did at the skill positions. Now, with having those three wide receivers, um, Noah Fant and Albert O. And by the way, you have Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon at running back in the backfield. Really nice offense on paper that John Elway put together, uh, and then he comes back and gets a starter, too, at center. Give them an A-. Now, let's go to the Chargers. They draft quarterback Justin Herbert out of Oregon. What, what did you make of the Chargers draft? Yeah, so the Chargers go with six, um, six picks. Wasn't a big fan of Justin Herbert, but nonetheless, they had to take a, cor- a quarterback there. They got a really good team, uh, just missing a quarterback. So it's a little that they're going to believe that they're going to go into this year and try to kind of make the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor. So they go with him. Didn't really like to trade up for Kenneth Murray. I'm not really a fan of, you know, trading up and giving up what they had to give up to get an off-ball linebacker. So, you know... We'll have to see with him and Patrick Queen, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of off-ball linebackers that don't blitz, and you take them in round one, and it's kind of hard to see that first-round value that you expect. Um, you can kind of count on your hand the number of off-ball linebackers who really make an impact in the NFL. It's only about maybe, you know, four or five. So Kenneth Murray's going to need to be one of those guys. Um I like the pick on I, I, I and, and and then they had two first round picks, nothing on day two, um, and then they come back in day three. I like Joe Reed as a kick returner and kind of a slash guy at wide receiver. Um, the kid out of Notre Dame, the safety, he could be a core player for them in the uh, secondary, um, a core player on special teams. 
core four, we call them, all four special teams they play. And then I think they got a steal in K.J. Hill in round seven. Um, he's the all-time leading receiver at Ohio State. So they get him in round seven. Um, not a bad draft. This draft is ultimately going to come down when you only have six players. Um, it's going to come down to how those first-round picks do to justify, you know, can we get three guys that could be long-term starters for us? Really going to come down to those first two picks, especially Justin Herbert, to see how you know this draft does for the Chargers and about, you know, look back two or three years down the road. And what's your grade for this class? Yeah, I'm going to give them a C plus. So, so you know, six players, three of them, six players, four of them being in day three, and then you know, not the highest on Herbert and Murray. However, those were first-round picks that they took, so moves you up a little bit. Um, so I think a C-plus, I think it's, uh, it's um, if you look at the division, I would say they had the worst of the four drafts of the teams in the AFC West, although if they get their quarterback and they hit on it, it moves it up substantially. But um, I don't really see many guys contributing on day three of the draft, so... You know, you kind of run the numbers a little bit, and, you know, I kind of see maybe two tops, tops, absolutely top three guys contributing to the Chargers team for a year to come in this draft. So I give them a C plus, a little bit above average. Um, got two first-round picks, though. Okay. Thank you, Kenny, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff. Um, you know, kind of just closing up on the draft of the AFC, and, you know, we kind of talked about the teams that, they use the draft to propel them to possible playoff teams and divisional teams like the Colts, and then some teams that the draft you know didn't do as much for them and kind of moves them down a little bit. So uh, great talking ball with you and closing up our draft meetings here for 2020. So thanks for having me again. And kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to unveil a new segment. Kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the podcast. Uh, appreciated him going over the AFC West and AFC South with me. Like I said last podcast, he went over the AFC East and the AFC North. Those were interesting as well. Next week, we're going to get the NFC out. Probably going to try to break it down two division at a time again, but we'll see how that works out. But definitely, we will have that coming to you next week. So, I was thinking... So I think for the podcast, we need to do more lists, right? We need to do more lists. So here's what I'm going to do. Every week, I'm going to have Daryl's Top 10. And these can range from sports, hopefully, and usually they'll have something to do with sports. If sports don't come back relatively soon, we might have to start getting creative. But hopefully it doesn't come to that. But I decided since the NBA had their, and ESPN since the NBA is their 74th anniversary, and ESPN did their Top 74 players of all time, why not have Daryl's top 10? So, I'm going to list my top 10 players of all time. And I'm going to do it from 10 to 1. 
Number 10. I have the Diesel. Shaquille O'Neal. I have Shaq at number 10 because I think while Shaq had a higher peak, at his best he was better than almost everybody on this list. You can make an argument at his best he was better than everybody on this list. The problem is his best was like for four and a half years and then after that he was not as consistent as each of these guys were. He also didn't win the championships these guys were. But I have Shaq at 10. And honestly, if he... He was able to stretch out that dominant that dominance. He'd probably be uh, top five very easily. Number nine, I have my favorite player ever, my favorite athlete ever, uh, who tragically passed. It only seems like weeks ago. Kobe Bryant. I think Kobe has an interesting spot on here because I I really think if you really wanted to. I, you could make an argument for Kobe being a fringe top five guy. I think that is a kind of unrealistic. But I, I think what makes Kobe's career so special and why I have Kobe 9 is his peak at his best, he was not better. He did not have a better peak than arguably any guy on the, that I'll name after this, including Shaq in the top 10. At his best, you can make an argument he was not better than any of these guys. But he was more consistent than almost all of them. Basically, since Kobe's third year, he's like top five player in the league. All the way up till the Achilles injury. He went to multiple finals in a row. He had a 35 point per game season. He did it on both ends of the court. Nothing but respect for Kobe. I have Kobe at nine. Number eight. I have Larry Bird. Now, this was really tough for me because I think Larry Bird and the next guy I'll name at number seven are kind of interchangeable. But the reason I had Larry Bird was because he it was not as consistent, partly because of back injuries. But his peak was better than most, better than most on the list. And a lot of people say that he was better than Magic for the time that they were going at it, head to head. But that's another discussion for another day. But really, what it comes down to when I have Bird at 8 is just the longevity was not there for me to justify him being at uh, ahead of the guy that I have at the next slot, Tim Duncan at number 7. Tim Duncan is one of the most underrated and disrespected superstars of all time. He is the greatest player at his position ever. He has five NBA championships. He went five for six in the uh, finals and really should have been six for six. But then Danny Green was trying to cherry pick a layup. It leaks. Uh, Chris Bosh gets the rebound. It, it, it gets passed out to Ray Allen. Ties the shot. Game six of the NBA finals goes to uh, game seven. You know, we know how that story ends. But Tim Duncan was damn consistent and no drama. These other guys, like guys, his peers, and even guys like Michael, LeBron, Shaq, Kobe, all had drama throughout their career. Tim Duncan never had any drama. He just went out there and destroyed you. The big fundamental. Have Duncan at seven. Number six, I have Wilt. And I think where Wilt's place in history is kind of tough for people to decide is he played an era where he was just playing against, quite frankly, a bunch of unathletic white guys. So it's hard to kind of determine how good would he be in this era, but... In terms of the time, he was so dominant, had 50 points, uh, had a 100-point game, 50 points a season. You have to find a happy medium where to put him. Now, would he be doing this 
in this era? Obviously not. He would not average 50 points per game. That's asinine to say. But I, but I feel like you have to put players in their proper perspective for the time they were in. Number five, I have Magic Johnson, the man of Showtime. And a really interesting fact about Magic Johnson that I didn't realize, and this is crazy. Magic Johnson played 13 seasons in the NBA. Guess how many times he made the finals in those 13 years? Nine. LeBron goes to eight straight finals and we're like, oh my God, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. Magic, nine of his 13 years, was in the finals. Kareem gets hurt his rookie year and then Magic tips off at center and drops 40. The best point guard ever, I have Magic at five and I think Magic's kind of criminally underrated and and passed up by a lot of other guys. Now, number four, I have Bill Russell, 11 championships, the greatest winner in NBA history. Bill is kind of like Wilt where you struggle where to put him. You, you, you don't exactly know, but I, I think you have to give him, you have to give him top four, top five for sure. The winning, the intangibles, the legacy he made, how good he was at the time he played. Uh, you can make the argument he was the greatest defensive player ever. So I have Bill Russell at number four. Now, number three, I have LeBron James. Now, some people might criticize me and say why he's not one. I think LeBron James, when it's all said and done, will probably be number two on this list, but his career is not done yet. Uh, everybody knows LeBron's accomplishments, the multiple, uh, the consecutive finals he had, the comeback against Colton State, the dominance he had in Miami, bringing Cleveland their first pro sports championship in like 50 years. Everybody knows what LeBron represents and a really great career and still time to move up. And who knows, maybe he could be number one, even though I don't think so, but he's in position to do that. At number two, I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And what's so crazy about this is Kareem was the best player in high school. He was the best player in college. He was the best player in the NBA. People talk about Michael Jordan having five MVPs, five regular season MVPs. Guess how many MVPs Kareem has? Six. He also has as many finals wins as MJ. Six. And he has the most unstoppable move in NBA history, the skyhook. I have Kareem at, and Kareem, and Kareem was a very good player up until, until the 40s and the leading scorer in NBA history. As much as we talk about LeBron's longevity, Kareem was very good for a very, very long time. And at number one, Michael Jordan. At his best with greats like Magic and Larry Bird in his era, they all said, this guy is just too good. Six finals wins, six tries. One of the only players in NBA history to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same uh, season. Had a season where he averaged 37 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. The ultimate competitor, uh, and in my opinion, the best player in the NBA has ever seen. So that is my top 10. The debut of Daryl Lane's top 10. I see what we're going to have for next week. Now, I did want to say this while we have some minutes left. I do actually want to give a shout out to my mom for driving me to school uh, today and back. I appreciate that. I also want to give a shout out to my aunt Gina, who usually tags along 
but couldn't because of the corona. She called me a couple times while we were cleaning for motivation. And I appreciate the motivation, Angina, if you're listening. I, I appreciate that motivation. But I do want to give a special shout out to those two because uh, I'm not the most organized individual. And sometimes when you're having to pack me up and get me back, it takes a little bit longer, but both of them do it, and both of them help out, so I appreciate both of them very much. Now, it's really interesting, right? As I was leaving John Carroll today, I, I thought about the first time I was on campus. And, and this is a really interesting story. Uh, it's really the first time I've ever been away from home and been away from my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, for an extended period of time like that. And I will never forget. I don't know if people ever knew this, but I remember I was almost about to cry. I remember I was sitting up at Shelly Hall. I was about to cry. My grandma was looking at me, and I'm like, holy crap. I'm about to be on my own for the first time. I was like, this is just kind of getting real right now. What am I going to do with myself? I remember that. <laughs> and I was kind of like, my heart was slowly pumping. I'm like, this is it. I'm not going to see these guys for a while. Huh. And then I remember I went into... Um, Forgetting the room, it's called the Jardine Room, and all the freshmen. There's a, there's all tables, and I think it was like icebreakers or whatever, and we did that. And then that night, my roommate at the time, Don Devine, took me to my first ever college party, and I had a blast, and then I was like, F home, screw home, I'm happy to be at college. So that's the moral of the story there. But it's just thinking like how that experience went, so now I'm leaving, it's like, eh. Really interesting times. Uh, but I do want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode, the 156th episode of Barbershop Sports. Talk.